You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, we're talking about the very worst evangelicals. My name is Jim Newman, and with me today, I have Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Ashlyn Noble. Hello. Lauren Bailey. Hello. And returning guest, Kyle Joseph. Hello. So for today's show, we had been tossing around several different ideas for our theme, and we realized that just the very worst white evangelical preachers were kind of at the intersection of everything we had wanted to talk about. So today, <laughs> that's our theme. We will probably end up splitting this into two parts, but we're going to start off with my segment today, where I'm going to talk about the dearly departed... Pat Robertson. Marion Gordon Robertson, known publicly as Pat Robertson, was born on the 22nd of March, 1930, in Lexington, Virginia. Robertson was the son of A. Willis Robertson, a prominent Democratic senator. And we're talking about a Southern Democrat in the 1930s, so even more conservative and out-and-out -out racist than the center-right Democratic Party of today which, as we will see, probably affected Pat Robertson's outlook on a myriad of topics. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with sort of a brief précis, give the highlights of Pat Robertson's curriculum vitae, and then, then we'll get into some of the more fun stuff. I don't know if fun is, is the right way to describe that, but... I don't think oh. fun and Pat Robertson can exist in the same sentence. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Robertson would probably agree with you. So... Let's start off with his, his name. So Robertson was nicknamed Pat, according to family lore, by his brother Willis, who as a six-year-old enjoyed patting him on the cheeks. While Robertson went by his given name of Marion as a child, he later decided that this name was too effeminate and elected to go by Pat instead. Wow, I'm going to set that name out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, starting early. While Robertson is probably best known as the founder of the Christian Broadcasting Network and the longtime host of its flagship show, The 700 Club, Robertson had little interest in religion as a young man. He studied history at Lexington's Washington and Lee University and was a member of Sigma Alpha Epsilon, a fraternity infamous for two things. First, its hazing rituals which, according to Bloomberg, left at least nine pledges dead between 2006 and 2013, and second, as the only surviving national fraternity in the United States that was founded in the antebellum South. Of his college days, Roberts later recalled, quote, Although I worked hard on my studies, my real major centered around lovely young ladies who attended the nearby girls' schools. Like, he's just, he was just a scumbag from the start. <laughs> yep. When the draft was reinstituted during the Korean War, Robertson joined the Marines. Robertson apparently never saw combat, but did display a penchant for embellishing his wartime record, especially as his political career began to take off in the 1980s, something that his fellow Marines apparently didn't take too kindly to. After the Korean War, Robertson they tried his hand... tend to treat that very seriously. <laughs> yeah. After Korea, Robertson tried his hand at lawyering, but didn't do particularly well. He received a law degree from Yale in 1955, but failed his one and only attempt to pass the New York bar. He apparently decided that this would be a good time to be born again, and he went on to attend the Biblical Seminary in New York, obtaining his Master of Divinity degree in 1959. 
The very next year, Robertson purchased the license for Portsmouth, Virginia's Channel 27, WTOV-TV. The station had folded due to poor viewership, but he retooled the station's programming, and on the 1st of October 1961, the station began broadcasting conservative Christian programming as the first member of what would go on to become the Christian Broadcasting Network. The 700 Club, which would become a fixture of CBN, began as a one-time telethon, with Robertson seeking 700 people to pledge $10 per month, about $100 in today's money, to keep the station in operation. Robertson did a brief stint as a faith healer, but left most of that act to charlatan extraordinaire Jim Baker, who became the first regular host of the 700 Club. The Christian Broadcasting Network was originally a tax-exempt charitable organization, but Robertson reorganized it into a commercial enterprise. And in 1988, CBN was rebranded as the Family Channel. It was later sold to News Corp in the late 90s and then on to Disney. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like the Family Channel that played cartoons? That's correct. What? Yeah, that I was... I no idea. Pat Robertson. Oh my god. Like, I thought that was like just like cartoons well, yeah, i watched plenty of that yeah like i mean i never had i never had cable or satellite when i was young enough to watch most of the stuff that was on the family channel but it was just like cartoons and stuff whoa yeah. oh my god that, i'm gonna have to sit with that for a little while Mind blown. <laughs> so let's talk politics in 1986 with the end of ronald reagan's second term on the horizon Pat Robertson threw his name into the ring as a contender for the Republican presidential nomination. He performed well in the early primaries, placing second ahead of Bush in Iowa. But his stories of wartime heroics were complicated by a public letter penned by Pete McCloskey, a former Republican representative for California and former Marine himself. McCloskey alleged that Robertson had never seen combat in Korea and had in fact used his father's political connections, his father, as you'll recall, was a conservative Democratic senator, used his father's political connections to avoid deployment to the front lines. Robertson sued McCloskey for libel. But, as discovery wore on, Robertson attempted to drop this suit and eventually was forced to pay for McCloskey's court costs in order to do so. According to McCloskey, quote, he made a wise decision to surrender before a jury could rule that he is a liar. I had 20 former Marines ready to testify that his old man got him out of combat, and I think he realized that this wouldn't look good to Southerners and the great tradition of the Confederacy and Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. What can I, I say but yikes? <laughs> Following his... <laughs> this is a real predator situation, right? <laughs> Whoever wins, we oh lose. God. yeah. Following his unsuccessful presidential bid, Robertson founded the Christian Coalition of America, a far-right Christian organization that coordinated campaigns for conservative candidates. In 1997, the Federal Election Commission filed suit against the Christian Coalition for, quote, coordinating its activities with Republican candidates for office in 1990, 1992, and 1994, and failing to report its expenditures. Illegal? Yeah, I've made peace with that. The coalition was also implicated, Lauren, as you may know, in the Iran-Contra affair, and was fined in 1994 for providing improper aid to both Newt Gingrich and Oliver North. Yep. Oh. Ollie North? Oh no. Yep. 
Vaughn Hall. In 1999, oh. Virginia's Office of Consumer Affairs called for Robertson to be criminally prosecuted for, quote, willfully inducing contributions from the public through use of misleading statements and other implications. However, Mark Early, the Attorney General of Virginia, declined to prosecute. Pat Robertson, incidentally, and I'm sure this was unrelated, had been the largest contributor to Early's election campaign only two years prior. As you oh, might so guess... Slimy. Sorry, <laughs> Jim, to interrupt you there, but ugh. ugh. No, they really are. As you might guess, Robertson had extremely poor taste in political allies. He endorsed Giuliani for the 2008 Republican nomination. And he predicted that Trump would win his second term in a landslide. When Trump lost, he stated that God himself would intervene to keep Trump in office. There's yeah, a lot of that's ground. What happened, huh? Yeah. There's a lot of ground to cover when we're talking Pat Robertson, and this is all getting pretty boring, but I wanted to at least give everyone a brief sketch of the guy's life from a thousand-foot view before we delve into some of the more interesting bits, starting with Robertson's beliefs, which is where we're headed next. It starts out pretty boilerplate, the kinds of things you'd expect from a conservative white guy born in the 1930s, but by the end, I think most folks will have learned at least one new thing to hate about this particular ghoul. So, without further ado, let's talk about Pat Robertson's theology. When it came to feminism, Pat Robertson didn't pull any punches. I'm sure if you know one Pat Robertson quotation, you probably know this one. Feminism is a socialist, anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. <laughs> I think I've done all those things. <laughs> Just like, like kill their children. He means abortion there. Yeah, I, I'm, but I'm taking it a little bit more like, okay, guys, okay, I'm not going to go there. But like, yeah, that's no, 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 no. God, this guy's the worst. I love when Laura just gets on the nope train. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. It's like a musical almost. I have to keep it interesting. So as you might expect, Robertson wasn't too fond of other religions. He called Hinduism demonic, stating that it has, quote, put a nation in bondage to spiritual forces that have deceived many for thousands of years. He repeatedly characterized Islam as satanic, calling it not a religion, but instead a, quote, violent political system bent on the overthrow of the governments of the world and world domination. Nothing, nothing at all like evangelical Christianity in the U.S. Nothing at all. Yeah, g given Robertson's own political aims, this is at the very least a pot-speaking-to-a-kettle situation, right? In an interview with New York Magazine in August 1986, Robertson compared adherents to non-Christian religions to termites, saying, quote, it is interesting that termites don't build things, and the great builders of our nation almost to a man have been Christians, because Christians have the desire to build something. He is motivated by love of man and God, so he builds. The termites are in charge now, and that is not the way it ought to be. And the time has arrived for a godly fumigation. There's definitely no other reason why non-Christians are underrepresented in our history. Yeah, it's a point of order. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's bypassing the overtly genocidal rhetoric. 
that he's using here. And also, oh, this guy is just not worth it. But like, are you kidding me? You build, you build. Yeah, sure you do. And so have all sorts of civilizations for millennia and their stuff is still standing without Jesus. So it's fine. They're fine. Let it go. During his presidential campaign, Robertson insisted that only Christians and the occasional Jew would be welcome in his government. The occasional. God. In his 1991 book, The New World Order, And I'm not talking about the Clintons and the Bushes. I'm talking about Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash and five or six other guys. Robertson reflected on the public outcry that this statement had generated. He said, quote, I hit a firestorm. What do you mean? The media challenged me. You're not going to bring atheists into the government? How dare you maintain that those who believe in Christian values are better qualified to govern America than Hindus and Muslims? My simple answer is, yes, they are. And Robertson never backed down. In 2015, a woman wrote into the 700 Club with a question for Robertson. Quote, I work in an environment where all of my co-workers are Buddhists. I remember a pastor telling us to teach others about Jesus so that they can receive salvation. However, every time I approach my co-workers, they end up offending me in ways that I feel are criticizing the word of God. Oh my God, stop. Do not. But if, but if I argue, I end up offending them. What should I do? Though rather than replying with the reasonable, why don't you just leave them a hell alone, Jesus Christ? Robertson advised her to quit her job, telling her, quote, if you're healthy and there's a mild contagion around you, chances are you won't get it. But if you put yourself in the middle of a hospital ward where everybody has that disease except you, sooner or later, you will be infected by it. Okay, so the way he said it was despicable and disgusting, but yes, she should quit that job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for her co-worker's benefit, right? Yes, yeah. Also, that's There's not nothing, how hospitals yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, oh, there's people dying. See ya. Like, is that what healthcare workers do? God. Oh, Lord. Hardly the worst thing that he's done, but Robertson also blamed atheism for the 2012 Wisconsin Sikh temple shooting. While Robertson did occasionally build bridges with other Christian denominations, especially when he had a particular political aim, they weren't exempt from his contempt. I will quote him here. You say we're supposed to be nice to the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and this, that, and the other thing? Nonsense. I don't have to be nice to the spirit of the Antichrist. Whoa. Whoa. Oh my god. Oh. And as you might guess, you probably don't have to guess, but as you might guess, Robertson was no friend to the gays, predicting that American society's acceptance of homosexuality would lead to earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, and, quote, Possibly a meteor. We already do that. When I mean, his to remember the new acronym for pride. Pat Robertson is dead, everybody. And then party. <laughs> pride party. When his friend Jerry Falwell blamed pagans, abortionists, feminists, and gays for the September 11th terrorist attacks, Robertson replied, I totally concur. In a 2013 episode of The 700 Club, Robertson claimed that HIV-positive members of the gay community in San Francisco were in the habit of deliberately infecting straight people with AIDS by wearing sharp rings that would cut them and infect them during a handshake. They also tried to tie that to Lucretia Borgia, so, like, at least get a new lie. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my god. This guy is just like like Saturday morning cartoon level like <laughs> he, evil he, doer. He is like a Captain Planet villain level of absurd. The power is yours. What? <laughs> Are you kidding? Is this an episode of Scooby-Doo? Like And of course, queer folk weren't the only ones responsible for terrorist attacks and natural disasters. Evolutionists shared at least some of the blame. In 2005, after the citizens of Dover, Pennsylvania voted out the members of their school board who supported so-called intelligent design, Robertson addressed the citizens of Dover on the 700 Club. Quote, I'd like to say to the good citizens of Dover, if there is a disaster in your area, don't turn to God. You just rejected him from your city. God is tolerant and loving, but we can't keep sticking our finger in his eye forever. If they have future problems in Dover, I recommend they call on Charles Darwin. Maybe he can help them. There's a Dover soul joke in here somewhere, but I can't make it today. Robertson blamed the 2017 Las Vegas shooting on a wide variety of political opponents, including those who disrespected President Trump and athletes like Colin Kaepernick, who took a knee during the national anthem. And just last year in February, he told his viewers that Vladimir Putin had been compelled by God to invade Ukraine as a means of bringing about the end times. Robertson blamed the 2010 earthquake in Haiti on the citizens of Haiti themselves, claiming that the founders of the country had sworn a pact with the devil as a means of throwing off their colonial oppressors, and that the earthquake was a just curse from God. This statement mirrored a previous claim that he'd made about Hurricane Katrina five years earlier, when he had stated that the nearly 2,000 people killed in New Orleans were God's punishment for America's permissive approach to abortion. What? Like, oh, he's just... God punishing people for overthrowing their oppressors is a new one, honestly. It's That's my new thing to hate about Pat Robertson right there. That's what I've learned today. It's like a dodecahedron of hate. (laughs) Robertson does, in fact, have a long history of crediting hurricanes specifically to the whims of a vengeful god. As far back as 1985, Robertson, he congratulated himself. He credited his own prayers with steering Hurricane Gloria away from his company's headquarters in Virginia Beach. Gloria went on to make landfall in New England, killing eight people. Gloria, we had such hopes for you. So those those people can, can thank Pat Robertson. But death never really seemed to bother Robertson much. Yeah, he's clearly a death cult guy, like very clearly. In a 2005 broadcast of the 700 Club, he called... For the assassination of Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez, he said, quote, I don't know about this doctrine of assassination. The, the context here is that Chavez was stating that talking about the Americans' penchant for assassinating and overthrowing governments in South and Central America. So, quote, I don't know about this doctrine of assassination, but if he thinks we're trying to assassinate him, I think that we really ought to go ahead and do it. It's a whole lot cheaper than starting a war, and I don't think any oil shipments will stop. He went on to state that Chavez was going to make Venezuela a launching pad for communist infiltration and Muslim extremism all over the continent. Fourteen years later, during the 2019 Venezuelan presidential crisis, Robertson went on to call for the assassination of yet another left-wing Venezuelan president, Nicolas Maduro, stating that the U.S. government should take him out with a Hellfire missile. Wow, why? because he, he wasn't the upstart fascist who was claiming to be president. But couldn't he just send a hurricane? I thought Robertson had that power. 
<laughs> he does seem to have that power. So with all of that, all of these things that most people might be familiar with from Pat Robertson's Out of the Way, let's delve into some of his less well-known grifts. For example, Laura, did you know that Pat Robertson briefly marketed a weight loss shake? Oh, well, doesn't surprise me, but go on. That's my thoughts also. Doesn't surprise me. In 2006, he entered into a partnership with GNC to produce a weight loss and energy shake that he promoted aggressively on the 700 Club and on his website. He claimed, and I must stress that this is not a joke, he claimed that his age-defying energy shake was so powerful that it allowed him, a 76-year-old man, to leg-press 2,000 pounds. 2,000? Wow. Which, for comparison, what? is half so again as much... Evidence. Yeah. <laughs> Do it on the 700 Club, dude! So it's, it's half again as much as the strongest competitive weightlifters in the world can leg press? Why would you claim that? <laughs> when folks were understandably skeptical, he argued that it wasn't actually that hard and provided video evidence. However, the video evidence was of him leg pressing what appeared to be just under 1,000 pounds, in a 45-degree sled lift, which would reduce the effective weight to around 700 pounds, and critics remain skeptical that the machine was actually loaded in the way that he claimed. Uh-huh. Well, I'm just imagining, like, out of if you zoom out, you see, like, four muscly dudes pushing up the weights <laughs> on either side of him to make this machine go up. The oh, styrofoam like, weights from Hollywood. He is someone that I can never actually imagine going into a GNC. Like, <laughs> like he is the antithesis of that. Which, like, everybody is different, and that's fine. But sometimes you're like, really? That doesn't fit. He just, yeah, that, what, oh. Like, how did this partnership even come to be? What a weird thing. Like, why didn't he get into doomsday kits like all the other guys? <laughs> like, that seems way better. This is so I, I'm skimming over a lot of his grifts. This wasn't the only one, but it was one that I thought that you might appreciate. Oh my god! And here's where things take a turn for the grim. When I say Operation Blessing, does that mean anything to anyone? Nope. No. Operation Blessing International was Pat Robertson's tax-exempt charitable organization founded to provide international aid to refugees. In 1994, at the height of the Rwandan genocide, Robertson implored viewers of the 700 Club to open their wallets and donate during nearly every broadcast to Operation Blessing. I don't like where this is going. Donations poured in to support refugees fleeing from Rwanda to neighboring Zaire, which is present-day Congo. Refugees whom Robertson claimed were being airlifted to safety by planes operated by his Operation Blessing. However, a reporter from the Virginian Pilot newspaper discovered that Operation Blessing's planes were not, in fact, loaded with refugees, but were instead transporting diamond mining equipment for the African Development Corporation, a company that Robertson had established the previous year in cooperation with his friend Mobutu no. Sese Seko, the dictator of Zaire. Oh. An official investigation into Operation Blessing concluded that it was fraudulent and deceptive, providing little to no actual aid to refugees throughout its existence. Reporting from The Guardian suggested that Robertson had taken credit for work actually done by MSF, 
and that Operation Blessing was responsible for little more than reciting scripture to dying refugees. And doing some diamond mining, of course. We can't forget yeah. that. Zero percent shot. Real grim. Oh. Oh. And would you be surprised if I told you that Operation Blessing wasn't the last time that Robertson would find himself in business with an African dictator? No. A 1999 article, again in the Virginian Pilot, apparently is on the, the Robertson grift beat, reported that Pat Robertson had negotiated an $8 million gold mining operation with Liberian President Charles Taylor. This freedom gold, as Robertson called it, was intended to help fund evangelical efforts in Liberia. Robertson denied ever meeting or speaking to Taylor, who was, of course, a notorious warlord, but during his 2010 war crimes trial in The Hague, Taylor testified that Robertson was his friend and his primary American political ally. But why? Why do they still call me a warlord? Ugh. How did he escape worldwide political like, prosecution? Why, is he, why was he not brought up on the Hague, at The Hague? It's a good question. I mean, he wasn't all bad. He was in a commercial at one point with Al Sharpton. He was, like, it was for some environmental thing. He also actually supported the legalization of cannabis. Extremely briefly, he said, quote, I just think it's shocking how many of these young people wind up in prison and they get turned into hardcore criminals because they, because they had possession of a very small amount of a controlled substance. This whole thing is crazy. But then, of oh, course... weird when you agree with a bad person very briefly... <laughs> if it helps at all, he immediately changed his mind and went back to yeah. calling for prohibition. Because he realized that so much of his money was tied up with people who were profiting off of, well, profiteering off of the illegal sale of controlled substance. Indeed. It's really reminding me of that one minute that I agreed with Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> oh, that was a bad minute. Right? <laughs> she wakes up screaming still. He's a dose of P.T. Barnum with a Mussolini twist. Here, here's the one. When he said, when he was talking about consent after the Donald Trump tapes came out, says, if there's consent on both or all three or all four, however many are involved in the sex acts is perfectly fine, whatever it is. But if there is no consent, then that's when the left has a problem. Yep, you got it right. <laughs> Oh, he wasn't, he was, he was saying that just to say, this is what the left believes. Yeah. This is the weird, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he was actually like on the, on the right side on this one. No, nope. it was just like, even to have him accurately describe yeah. the position yeah. of quote unquote, the left felt weird. Had us in the first half, not going to lie. <laughs> anyway, Pat Robertson died on the 8th of June, Ooh. 2023 at the age of 93. Good riddance. Yep. And the grift goes on. You know, I, I hate it. I really hate it when people are, when, when really terrible people are not as outwardly, stereotypically evil villain as I wish they were. Because Pat Robertson was this kind of unassuming guy. Like, he's not a big, bulking kind of evil villain kind of character and I wish I wish he was you because wish you could villain profile people <laughs> <laughs> I wish that from everything that cartoons have taught me <laughs> from the family <laughs> channel 
He trained you well. Well, just yeah. like, he's, he's easier to hide when he doesn't look like the like caricature of a villain that he truly is. And I hate that. I hate that. He needed to be anyway. Snidely Whiplash. Oh. The reason so many villains have been queer-coded over the years as well. Yep. Oh, God, there's such a thesis paper in there. Oof. Oh, there's many. Many have been written. He taught me to love and praise Charlton Heston. Oliver North is quite a nice man, too. That's what they say. Forget Alan Tipper. Let's bring back the Gipper and Joe McCarthy, too. So, with Pat Robertson in our rearview mirror. Because he's dead! Bump. <laughs> Why don't we move on to talk a little bit about Jerry Falwell and Liberty University? Kyle? Oh, we have so much to get to. And I'm both excited and horrified to go through all of it. <laughs> so, I'm excited to know what fact will be the new thing I learn about Liberty today. <laughs> so. In addition to my fascination of professional wrestling, which will not come up today, I also yeah, R.I.P. the Iron Cheek. I also have a great love of other sports, and particularly football is a small enjoyment of mine, despite everything. And there has been a recent development in college football where a small-ish Christian school, Liberty University, has sort of come into its own, competing with some of the better teams in college football. And I found it very odd that this could be taking place, despite its location and some of the names involved. And then I looked more into Liberty University, and let me tell you, every time that I keep digging in this, I find something very, very odd. <laughs> So it's interesting for me because like we know a lot of people who have found out about Liberty University via sort of the atheist skeptic sphere. And I haven't really come across anybody who has looked into Liberty because of football. <laughs> so we will be getting back. This story, by the way, has three tangents. We will be getting back to the first one. My means into Liberty University was the surprise that their head coach for their college football team was a man by the name of Hugh Freeze. He, which leads us to tangent number one. Hugh Freeze came to prominence when he was coach of Briarcrest High School, which was part of the book The Blind Side by Michael Lewis, telling the story about Briarcrest player and future NFL offensive lineman Michael Orr. Right. The movie The Blind Side was a troubling portrayal and a concerning white savior narrative taken from the facts of this book. Mm -hmm. And at once Senator Bullock and Oscar for playing his adopted mother. Speaking about the movie or referred to it as a distraction on his career and was <laughs> disappointed at his portrayal. I'll quote him here. I felt like it portrayed me as dumb instead of as a kid who never had consistent academic instruction. Quentin Aaron, the actor who played him did a great job acting the part, but I could not figure out why the director chose to show me as someone who had to be taught the game of football. Whether it was SJ, his adoptive younger brother, moving around ketchup bottles, or Leanne, his adoptive mother, explaining to me what blocking's about. I watched those scenes thinking, no, that's not me at all. I've been studying, really studying the game since I was a kid. That was my main hang up with the film. I would recommend not watching the movie. All of this 
by the way, is an aside that leads us to the fact that Hugh Freeze was the coach of Liberty University. Now let's talk about Liberty University. Lynchburg Baptist College was founded by Elmer Towns and Jerry Falwell Sr. in 1971 in the town of Lynchburg, Virginia, where Jerry Falwell was a preacher. It later became Liberty Baptist College in 1976 as part of the Bicentennial of the United States, and then later Liberty University in 1984. The university was created and remains a fundamentally Christian institution that does teach university-level education, provides it, but also does it with a heavy Christian bet. Because of the recency of the founding of the university, most of its famous alumni are still alive today. This includes several conservative politicians, evangelicals, conservative media members, conservative athletes, and a man by the name of Tim Lambesis, lead singer of the metalcore band As I Lay Dying, <laughs> our second tangent. <laughs> Tim Lambesis was the lead singer and is now the lead singer of the band As I Lay Dying, which was an active band, but for a small interlude between 2014 and 2017. And this interlude came because Tim Lambesis was arrested, charged, and jailed with attempting to solicit the murder of his estranged wife. Uh, oh. Uh, I didn't hear about that. That's kind of a As big one. As the story goes, he had approached someone in his gym about trying to find somebody who could kill his estranged wife. And the person he ended up connecting with was an undercover detective. <laughs> Paid the undercover detective $1,000, promising 20000 upon the deed being done. Laid out an address, gave pictures, and told her a day, or told him a day that he should kill her. When he was, in fact, arrested, he originally pleaded not guilty, but did, in fact, plead guilty, was sentenced to six years in prison and paroled after two. Back to liberty. Ugh. Yeah, this doesn't get much better. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> At least you've sort of gotten the tenor of the podcast. Yeah, he knows our shtick. Yeah. <laughs> Depression all the way down. <laughs> I'm a big fan. There, the tonal shift of this is going to be a little bit odd, but I digress. Liberty University is known for a few things, and among them, a word that I did not understand the meaning of originally was convocation. Basically, university students are required to go to an event with speakers who are there to basically proselytize to the students, but not about religious sermons but rather about conservative issues of the day and topical political events from a conservative point of view. Ugh. You know the time thing that the right blames the left for indoctrinating students? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of a trope at this point that if the conservatives are accusing the left of doing something, it's because they are doing it. Yeah, it is definitely a recurring theme. This was another thing that just sort of bothered me. The School of Government at Liberty University in 2004 was renamed after Jesse Helms, a Ew. deeply racist Ugh. senator from North Carolina who was known for probably one of the more famous things that he did over the course of his life was in 1993, 
while he and Carol Mosley Braun, the first black woman senator in the Senate and the only one at the time, were sharing an elevator, he literally whistled Dixie at her. Jesus oh. Yep. His name oh. is on school government. That was done in 2000. Did he donate a shit ton of money or what? He and or... Falwell were close friends. Uh. Which should not be surprising when we actually get to Jerry Falwell Sr. <laughs> the school, of course, is known for primarily for something called the Liberty Way, which is the school's code of ethics that all students are required to sign off on and can be punished about over the course of their time at the university. Mm-hmm. Some of, I have read the document, by the way, and it is a lot. Some of the things in the Liberty Way are kind of stuff you'd expect from any institution, higher learning, academic dishonesty, ethical behavior violations, discrimination policies, and the means by which you can reopen or appeal violations. But some of them are more restrictive. You're not allowed to possess or consume alcohol, cigarettes, tobacco of any kind, or drugs, be they legal or illegal. And there's also a fairly stringent dress code policy. And then there's some things that are outright bizarre. I'll read from the entertainment guidelines of the Liberty Way. Sorry, are you not going to get further into the dress code stuff? Oh, I do. So <laughs> I, you have to talk about the thing at least. I did look up an older version of the Liberty Way because the modern Liberty Way outlines a dress code, but the older one is goes way more detail about it. And of course, men are expected to dress in slacks and collared shirts, and women are expected to wear long skirts or dresses and sweaters or blouses but there is a provision upon which women were allowed to wear pants this was the winter dress code i'll quote from this this is the liberty way from 1996-97 school season female students will be allowed to wear nice pants no blue jeans to class if one of the following conditions exist one The high for the day, as reported by WRLV or C91, is in the low 30s, 30 to 34 degrees. Two, the current weather conditions include freezing rain, sleet, or heavy snow. Three, as determined by the Vice President for Student Development for situations deemed inappropriate for class dress, i.e. uncleared sidewalks, severe drifting ice, etc. Note. Please do not call the campus radio stations for temperature checks. <laughs> what? I have no words. Such a demand that to know cool. what the temperature was. Can we wear pants that they had to prohibit them from calling the radio station? It's ungodly, don't you know? The dress code oh does God. still exist in the modern one, but it's less explicit about what is. It just basically says appropriate dress because I think there's rules against how much you can actually express explicitly say. Mm. Yeah. And this way they can just subtly discriminate instead of writing it down. Exactly. You don't need to get the, the vice president of student development involved. <laughs> <laughs> Liberty university maintains a conservative standard in its approach to arts and entertainment. Media and entertainment that is offensive to Liberty's standards and traditions. That is to say, lewd lyrics, anti-Christian message, sexual qu- content, 
nudity, pornography, etc. are not permitted on or off campus. That means I'm not allowed to have fun anymore for the rest of my life. That is another big thing, is that the Liberty Way applies to you yep. even when you're not on school grounds. Yep. That, like, and does it, I assume that so long as you are enrolled, even if you're on summer break or something like that, you're still expected. Mm -hmm. Oh, you better not have an abortion over summer break. (laughs) (laughs) I just meant the pants thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you are expected to maintain the standard of Liberty University, even when you are not currently there. And you have to wonder how broad their definition of anti-Christian messaging or whatever is. Well, it's a very yeah. good question. Mm-hmm. While industry ratings for movies, games, and other media are generally not reliable standards, they can be helpful in identifying content. Movie, game, and other media content rated X and NC-17 and video content, game content rated A are not permitted. Caution should be used in viewing movie content rated MA, R, PG-13, and video game content rated M. You really have to be careful with those PG-13 movies. They can get oh, you into man. trouble. <laughs> you might hear a fuck. But only but one. Not in a PG-13. Yeah, I think you get one. Don't you get you, one? You get one. You get one in a PG-13. Okay. Yeah, that's why you got to use it extremely judiciously. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to stop the fun train now and talk about the actual terrible stuff in this document as was sort of alluded to abortion having or financing or being involved with one is at the same level of severe academic dishonesty or committing felonies and can get you expelled from the university in addition i'll read this from the statement on sexuality and relationships Liberty University is bound by its doctrinal statement and by the teaching of the traditional biblical definition of gender, which is that humans are created by God, either biologically male or female from the womb, as well as the biblical definition of marriage, which is that it is only between a natural born man and a natural born woman. It goes on to say, yes, I really like I am deeply curious as to what the people who write these documents think about, like, and total androgen insensitivity syndrome and, and similar genetic causes of somebody having traditionally female phenotype with a traditionally male genotype. Right. Like, like what do you make of that? Jehovah's Witnesses. I kept asking them, like, okay, well, you have these rigid gender roles. What do you do with intersex people? They're not that uncommon. Yeah. Liberty disagrees. (laughs) (laughs) Statements and conduct contravening this traditional biblical definition of gender or marriage are inconsistent with the Liberty University doctrinal position and the Bible and are not permissible for members of the university community. For example, sexual relations outside a biblically ordained marriage, romantic displays of affection with a member of the same sex, e.g., hand-holding, kissing, dating, etc., <laughs> and actions confirming the denial of biological birth sex, e.g. asking to be referred by pronouns inconsistent with one's birth sex, using restrooms and changing facilities reserved for persons other than one's own birth sex, are prohibited by the Liberty Way. Just if we wanted to go maximum despicable, there it is. 
time you say things, I just keep saying, why would anyone ever want to go here? Ever? It's a very good question. <laughs> At least a Liberty Way program. <laughs> <laughs> right up there with Notre Dame, right? <laughs> Is the Liberty Way also the, the document that lays out that you can be expelled just for having somebody of the opposite gender yes. in your dorm room? Yeah. That is correct. Because... It is a, or in the ravine. <laughs> oh, so the we did look up... This is again from the older version. This is Sorry, probably... the older one was way funnier. Yes. <laughs> They've learned to hide their evil. Exactly. <laughs> Dating and social behavior. All students are asked to display mature Christian behavior in social interaction. Proper respect must be shown to all individuals at all times. And, we'll get, and they get into... Hand-holding is the only appropriate form of personal contact. Improper personal contact or other forms of public display are considered in poor taste. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? Is this a kissing book? Even the After side hugs? I was just <laughs> thinking that, Lauren. I had that song going through my head. <laughs> no, Christian side hugs are, are too, too much for liberty. Wow. At least at this time. <gasps> After dusk, students should not be alone with an individual of the opposite sex in any unlighted area, such as the ball fields, parking lots, parked cars, ravine, or other wooded areas, etc. <laughs> this is considered improper social behavior. That is from the 96-97 one. I guess they covered all the makeup spots there. <laughs> or like the serial killer spots? Like, that's yeah. what I'm Luckily, no makeouts can only days. happen after dusk. So, yeah. yes. And we get back to the uncomfortable stuff. Obviously, this these documents have problems in terms of, I mean, bringing in students to begin with, but their application can be anywhere between damaging and downright despicable. There's an article published by ProPublica, The Liberty Way how Liberty University discourages and dismisses students' reports of sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. It is common practice for Liberty University when people come forward with accusations of sexual assault to dismiss them out of hand and, in addition, to basically use that Liberty Way document as a means to get the people to not report them. Basically saying that by reporting this, you're acknowledging any wrongdoing that you happen to be involved with, including if there's any alcohol involved, you are admitting to using alcohol. And even being in the room or in contact with a person of opposite sex in that way is considered something at fault by the attacked person, which is seven levels of disgusting. Mm -hmm. There... Title IX officer declined to comment for the article, but is currently working at Baylor University as their Title IX officer. Wow. Not surprised. Yep. But all of this was a buildup in terms of the terribleness of the university. Let's talk about the Falwells themselves. They created this mess. So what are they about? Jerry Falwell Sr. He was the first president of Liberty University and served there until his death in 2007. Falwell, whose father and grandfather were both apparently atheists, became a preacher in Lynchburg, Virginia, and in 1956 began broadcasting his sermons on the old-time gospel hour, which six months later he turned into a local television show, becoming a very early televangelist. 
His style evangelism gained him a lot of social clout and political clout that he would go on to use later. In 1967, he actually founded another school, this being a high school, Lynchburg Christian Academy, which is now Liberty Christian Academy. It was founded in 1967 as a segregation academy, which yeah. were private schools in the South that were allowed to be white only because they were private. And then found ways around proper integration later. These schools have spiritual successors that still exist today. He founded a conservative group known as the Moral Majority in 1979, which was instrumental in getting the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980. Organized religion and organized crime working together to help build a better America. Was one of the leading voices among the Christian right supporting Reagan. So we come to the point on the timeline where all of the graphs diverge. Yes. <laughs> Reagan is the point of intersection between all of these despicable people. Yep. Yep. Anti-friend of the pod. Enemy of the pod. <laughs> Reagan. He's on and, the list, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Falwell has been known for saying some truly deplorable things. I won't give as an exhaustive list as Pat Robertson, because I don't know that there can possibly be one. But <laughs> he referred to AIDS as divine retribution for homosexuality. At one point, he claimed one of the Teletubbies was gay because he was purple yeah. and carried oh, a handbag. This being oh, yeah. the Teletubby Tinky Winky. Did he, did he originate that? I believe it was him, yes. <sighs> like, okay, grown man has nothing better to do but watch a toddler's television show and come up with problems with it. He needed just... content for that weekly show. Yeah. I mean, and he also, he was, al was also regularly speaking at the university, too, so he had a lot of time to talk about whatever he sort of felt like. And as mentioned by Jem, he very famously blamed September 11th on abortionists, gays and lesbians, and feminists. Mm -hmm. I could talk more about Jerry Falwell Sr., but it's mostly going to be more despicable things that he did and more conservative politicking. He did eventually revive the moral majority and was another leading voice in getting George W. Bush and his father, actually, elected to their offices was highly critical of bill clinton for bill clinton related reasons <laughs> I mean, that's valid oh no we're siding with him again <laughs> look stop clocks and everything yeah but this has been depressing enough and i kind of want to talk about his son a little bit oh yeah let's, let's talk about the dipshittery yeah mm -hmm. his his, his... <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I'm delighted to anticipate your segment. Please go on. So Jerry Falwell Jr. might be the biggest example of a phenomenon I like to refer to as second generation money. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the fail son? <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, I will say this to his, I don't want to say credit, but in terms of his success as the president of the university, as much as Liberty University was relatively prominent and well-known, it did struggle financially and was sort of heavily dependent on large donations from other evangelicals. 
And Falwell inherited a school that was struggling with finances after his father died and he became the president of the university. Whereas it is today a school of around 100,000 students and a $1.7 billion endowment. Damn. It is a large, large school. That is surprising how large that is. That is very large. Mm -hmm. Yes. The I was caught a scary off place. I had to check multiple times in multiple locations and I did in fact confirm, yeah, that is about the enrollment. It is a little bit below 100,000 now, probably because of the post-COVID stuff and we will get to that with Falwell Jr. But it is still quite a large university, especially for a private school. Yeah, I mean, it does like, track with it being like one of the three places along with like Bob Jones and whatever that the super conservatives will send their kids to. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And, and like uh, probably a lot of these kids want to go to not there, but that's the only one their parents will pay for. Before we get too deeply into Falwell, I do want to get back into a person that he inevitably hired as his head football coach, Hugh Freeze. To answer my question from earlier, how did Hugh Freeze, who was a fairly well-respected, at least in terms of football, coach, become the coach of Liberty? Well, after coaching Michael Orr at Briarcrest, he went on to become an assistant coach at the University of Mississippi, also known as Ole Miss. In fact, suspiciously the same year as the recruitment, this is not an uncommon thing in college football. He would go on Why to coach that... at other places. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Why is that suspicious? It is not an uncommon practice for high school coaches to be able to, because they have a fair amount of influence over highly touted football recruits, they're able to get certain kickbacks for recommending oh. certain universities. Oh. So it's, it's not uncommon for parents as well to be hired on to these universities through assistant or other kinds of means. Hmm. Gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, accusing Jerry Falwell Jr. of, of any kind of nepotism. I, I guess this isn't Falwell yet, but we'll get to him later. He would later go on to coach at other institutions before returning to the University of Mississippi in 2011 as their head coach. He ended up making a fairly good salary, starting at $1.5 million and working his way up to about 4.7 by the time he was fired. Oh my god. And he was fired for truly spectacular reasons. In addition to the usual scandals that come with being a college football coach, which involves usually paying athletes the most horrible thing that you could possibly do. Uh-huh. Yeah. I see dripping in sarcasm. The NCAA was investigating Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi, for wrongdoings from their previous tenure of head coach Houston Nutt. And in doing that, his lawyers trying to defend him from his actions and in a lawsuit that the university had filed against Nutt for defamation, his lawyers made a freedom of in information request for information about the university and records on it. And in doing reviewing those records, they found that Hugh Freeze had called the number of a female escort service on the phone that was issued to him by his public university school. Why? Why? <laughs> Come on, man! And I'm guessing... He attempted... 
<laughs> he attempted to deny this by saying that it was an accidental dialing of the number until it was revealed that he called the number at least a dozen times over 33 months. <laughs> and, and these it, were not like two second calls, I'm guessing. No, there's <laughs> a difference between a butt dial and a, do a booty call, my dude. You <laughs> already know they have the records. Why lie? That's a very good question. Wild choices. People so, are toddler, not things. smart. <laughs> the scandal meant that Freeze was basically told to resign or be fired. He chose to quit. And when he did so, he was accused by some of the students at Briarcrest, the high school that he used to coach at, for inappropriate conduct with female students. Mm. Gross. These allegations would continue voice. to follow him around at other institutions, and apparently at Ole Miss, people had similar inclinations of him. So in the wake of this, Freeze became a born-again Christian and well, all of it. Yeah. was hired on as the head coach at Liberty in 2018. God, it's like moving cops around to different districts. Yep, yep. very much so. He found a fair amount of success there, though was embroiled in another scandal where he was tweeting out mess direct messages to a former student at U the University of Liberty who was accusing people at the university of sexual assault and accusing the university of covering it up. He tweeted directly at her basically to defend the school, which is incredibly gross. And because there are no happy endings in life in November 29th, 2022 Auburn university hired Hugh freeze to become the head coach there. He has a six year contract that will pay him $6.5 million a year. Gross. Because he's good at directing young people how to get catastrophic head injuries. Got That's it. That's correct. And Auburn, by the way, is a public university. I had to double check this as well. So we will oh. see in a couple of years if he makes the same mistakes. Back to follow. That is my third and final tangent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but we like your tangents. <laughs> I'm glad that you're enjoying them. Follow Jr., while he did have some success in terms of bringing in money to the university, he also got himself into a reasonable amount of, let's say, hot water. In particular, he was a very instrumental part of the evangelical community campaigning for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, he was big into COVID-19 denial, which by this point, should not be remotely surprising. Yeah. And this is from an article that was written about him from Vanity Fair that I highly recommend. In early August 2020, Falwell posted a photo on Instagram of himself aboard a yacht with his pants unzipped, a drink in one hand, and his arm wrapped around a pregnant Liberty employee with her belly exposed. Was apparently, by the way, in a costume party wearing a costume of a character from trailer park boys, because of course he was. <laughs> so through all of this, his involvement with Trump proves to be kind of interesting when we talk about his downfall. But before we get to that, I do have one other note to make about Jerry Falwell jr. Which is that apparently through his tenure at the university, 
he was a pretty terrible boss. <laughs> I am so surprised. Yeah. By all accounts, he was incredibly heavy-handed in his leadership and came down hard on anybody who disagreed with him. One senior official said at one point, we're not a school, we're a real estate fund. We're not educating, we're buying real estate every year and taking students' money to do it. So some of the success of the university starts to get called into question as we actually dig deeper into it. And then Jerry Falwell Jr. was fired. And he was fired for spectacular reasons. <laughs> so it came to light that Jerry Falwell Jr. was, depending on who you believe, he resigned because of a scandal that, having read it, I honestly, if you had written it as fiction, it would be unbelievable. I'll quote from the story from Vanity Fair again. A former Miami pool boy named Giancarlo Granda claimed that he had a nearly seven-year affair with Falwell's wife, Becky, and that Falwell often liked to watch them have sex. Granda went on a national media tour. He gave interviews to ABC News, CNN, Reuters, Politico, and the Washington Post, and said the Falwells had been grooming him since he was 20 and bought his silence with luxury vacations, rides on Liberty's private jet, and an ownership stake managing a Miami Beach hostel. Now, Jerry Falwell Jr. claims that instead, Granda was a victim of this, did not watch any of the sex that was happening, and was basically extorted by Granda into selling off these things, or giving him these benefits. The evidence of some of this, by the way, to get tie in the Trump competition, the evidence of some of this, by the way, to tie in Trump again, was covered up originally by Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer. <laughs> of course. Before it came to light because of some deep reporting. So Falwell Jr. was forced to resign from the university as president. His brother is now the chancellor of the university. Some reports I read, and I don't know if this is substantiated or not, is he went out kicking and screaming. So, indeed, he did, at least publicly. I found this also from the Vanity Fair article. I'll quote from it again. Day Falwell resigned from Liberty. He gave an interview to his local NPR station and invoked the peroration of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Free at last, oh free God. at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Oh, Falwell's no. Death. He offered no other explanation for a spectacular meltdown. People inside and outside Liberty were left asking what had caused Falwell, a married father of three, to completely self-destruct in public. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite good, and I will, I will for sure link it as well. But yeah, that is the Falwells in a nutshell. Jerry Falwell, of course, no longer involved in the university. He does still do real estate dealing and lives on a farm in Virginia. Jerry Falwell Sr. is dead. But there's a Falwell running this university. The current chancellor of the university is Jonathan Falwell Jr.'s younger brother. There's got to be a Falwell. I mean, there just has to. <laughs> got to keep I it know, in the I know that you did a great job like condensing all of this because I listened to an entire podcast miniseries that was just about the whole like Giancarlo pool boy affair situation. It was like 10 episodes long, and it was just about that one like <laughs> sentence that you said. 
It is yeah. salacious. There are, certain, there are certain stories that really capture the imagination yeah. of rich people falling apart in truly spectacular fashion. Especially this one, because he was so heavily involved in the conservative Christian right. Yeah. But, yeah. The bigger a dick you are, the more fun it is to watch you fall. Exactly. Yep. That's right. That is the Falwells. Yeah, Liberty University continues to be a thing, and people continue to attend in droves, so I guess. And they continue mm. to win at football. <sighs> Gross. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> Gross, thanks. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, I hate it is the appropriate emotion, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with that in mind, why don't we talk about something that we don't hate so much? Something nice, yeah. perhaps. The evangelical movement is so despicable, we're having to split it across two so we don't yell at each other about it for six <laughs> hours at a time. So who wants to start off with something nice today? Robert and Falwell are dead. It's a a good thought every day. Whenever you need a a little pick-me-up to start your morning, just remind yourself of that. (laughs) That, despite being an atheist, I hope there is at least a hell for them. (laughs) I can go first, although it might be stepping on Ashlyn something nice. You you grabbed that bull by the horns, so... Yeah, Ashlyn has done a ton of work, and our orchard and gardens are freaking spectacular and we've just been going out into the front yard and picking strawberries and like handfuls of strawberries and it's been wonderful that is lovely that is lovely that's it having a yard full of fruit is pretty great (laughs) yeah we got a a full a full enough harvest to actually do something with our has caps this year so i mean jam it was so tasty yum we got a jar and a half a mason jar and a half the small ones of jam. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Plus some in the freezer for everything pie. We're going to put something from each harvest. So we'll put them all in together into a pie. And Oh, cute. Nice. Yeah. That's the goal anyway. Mm-hmm. That's me. Happy yard. <laughs> I can do mine next. Please. I do have a couple uh, something nice, at least as a result of something very sad. Mentioned off the top that the Iron Sheep did pass away, which was sad. But something nice that came out of it was that people went onto Twitter and got Hulk Hogan trending by saying fuck the Hulk Hogan one last time. So <laughs> I did appreciate that. I saw um, that but- trending the other day and I was like, why is Hulk Hogan trending? I'm not going to investigate. <laughs> I, I had that reaction, but the investigation proved to be very fruitful as it turned out. My my real something nice, though, is that Ashlyn, amazing person that she is, got tickets for us to go see Fleet Foxes, my favorite band at Folkfest, and I'm so excited to get to do that. And I have vacation coming up, and I'm excited for that, too. Nice. That sounds awesome. So basically, our something's nice are just about how awesome Ashlyn's been doing stuff lately. <laughs> <laughs> She's oh, no. currently in the other room making a cake for our friend's birthday tomorrow. So, Aww. 
my something nice was going to be these amazing cake truffles I'm making. They're so good. Well, there you go. Yeah, There's an intro. They are Christina Tosi's Dolce de Leche cake truffles. They have a Dolce de Leche cake and then a Dolce de Leche and evaporated milk sort of binder and a crumb and then a white chocolate coating. Mm. They're going to be so good. Oh. I'm looking forward to the party tomorrow. <laughs> My something nice is that both kids had performances at school this week as part of the end of the year wrap up events and they both did really well and it was just fun to go and see them do that and see them have fun up there on stage and and have good times with the school and and that. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. Awesome. And Congrats, Newman children. <laughs> My something nice, I, I just finished my internal medicine block, thank goodness, but as a means of distracting myself from studying during internal med, one day after I got off the ward, looked at my watch and I said, that's not true, I, I don't have a watch, I looked at the clock on the computer and I said, huh, I think Long and the Quaid is still open. So I rode my bike down there and bought myself a ukulele. Had I ever played a ukulele before? No. But I had a hankering to learn to play the Traveler's theme from Outer Wilds. And a ukulele is no banjo, but it, it is a lot more portable. So I got that, and instead of studying, I taught myself to play the Traveler's theme from Outer Wilds. The, the best game that has been made so far. So Outer Wilds is a game that I'm sure I've made a something nice at some point. It, it's a game that I played while I was studying for the MCAT and it's just it, it's a beautiful game in kind of all respects in my opinion and it also just has some of the most gorgeous music and I'm not an especially musical person but being able to just play that music is just very calming and I found myself when I'm stressed out just like picking up the ukulele and just just strumming a little bit and it centers me and it's very nice that's my something nice Hearing the ukulele is always so nice. So thank you, Jim. <laughs> and thank you for joining me tonight, everybody. Yes. And thanks especially to our special guest, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Always good to that hear your voice on the pod. to have you. I can't believe you pulled together that segment between the time I told you that we were recording tonight and now. <laughs> good job. I promise you, and I'll send this information along for people to review. There was so much more I could have talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Kyle, where can, our, where can our listeners check out your other work? If they're so inclined, you can check. I do a wrestling podcast. We are currently doing some rebranding stuff. If you go to Twitter, at WNWallop, you can find our Twitter page there, and that will point you in the direction of all of our content that will be coming out very, very soon. Great, and we'll link to that in the show notes too, so listeners can just click right through. Awesome. I look forward okay. to telling you about some more horrid evangelicalness next month. Woohoo! <laughs> okay, so stay tuned for part two. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Night. Show notes and references for all of our episodes are available at lueepodcast.com, where you can also find links to donate or get in touch. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you found us, or by sharing this episode with a friend. 
Life. Don't talk to me about life. I feel like instead of the theme music, this time it just needs a womp womp. <laughs> I, I assume you, I, I assume that womp womp is for the evangelicals and not for our special guest Kyle Joseph. Oh yes, yes. Where? <laughs> Ouch! The theme music usually goes right after the today on the show. Blah blah yeah. blah. And so instead of na 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 for evangelicals, you just get. Eh, eh. He made a wise decision to surrender before a journey. Excuse me. Sorry, Marissa. According to McCloskey, quote, he made a wise decision to surrender before a jury. Why can I not say the word jury? Try that again, <laughs> Marissa. Trying to say Sorry. adjourn? Yeah. Like your, your mouth keeps saying that. I know.